I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. All right, back by popular demand, we have a couple of our uh, most popular guests. PGA Tour player Zach Blair and lawyer by day, phenomenal golf photographer by hobby, John Cavalier. Um, you may know him as Lynx Gems. Gentlemen, welcome back. How you guys doing? Thanks so, thanks so much, uh, Andy. I feel like I should be getting strokes just uh, just by talking to you guys here. I <laughs> I need some some strokes if we ever played from uh, Zach for sure, you know, especially coming out of winter. Yeah, well, we got to get out somewhere this year. Yeah, well, you know, there's too many, so many options. We'll get into all the options here and shortly, I'm sure. So uh, tonight uh, we're going to do things a little different. Um, you know, we're just going to ask questions and let these two guys talk, considering they've you know, they're playing all over the place and, uh, you know, they've, they've played everywhere. I'm just a, a novice in this uh, threesome here. So um, both of you, well, Zach, you're right out there in the Monterey Peninsula right now. And uh, John, you went out there recently. So, you know, let's just cut to the chase and talk about Cyprus. Um, you know, Zach, you played there on Monday. Why don't you uh, give us a lowdown about how it was? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is, you hear it all the time about how great it is and, you know, how spectacular that place is. And, you know, it kind of lives up to its reputation every time you get out there. It's, you know, pretty breathtaking. It's a really fun golf course. That's the best way I can describe it. It's, it's extremely fun and sporty. And you got, you know, you got a bunch of wedges in there and you can get to a couple of the par fives and, bunch of really good par threes and you know it's just really enjoyable it gets uh more fun each time you go out there i've been lucky enough to play it a few times so it's uh it's always a treat and uh john you were out there last month it looked like you know from from the photos you had an awesome day out there yeah i'm not sure if i played the same course or not that zach played because i don't remember reaching any of the par fives in two or having a bunch of wedges in but uh i, I did play a course called cypress point while i was out there um and i i will echo what what zach said it, it's an amazing golf course it's an amazing place and uh, it it's one of those courses that there it's just packed full of amazing moments you know like in golf we chase these courses and there are certain courses in certain places where you have these these moments like seeing the alps hole at national golf links for the first time or seeing the the, the clubhouse and the, the ninth and 18th greens at shinnecock or the the ninth at yale where you just you get this indelible memory and at cyprus the thing that struck me the most was that it's just end-to-end, wall-to-wall, amazing moments. It's just an incredible place to have a golf course. It's 
it lived up to every bit uh, of hype and expectation that, that I had and, uh, and then some. It's just an amazing place. So, you know, everybody's seen the pictures. I'm, I've looked at them for I, countless hours. I'm curious, since both of you have been out there multiple times, what's the best part of the Cypress experience that nobody knows about? I mean, I just, you know, you always hear about 15, 16, 17 and how amazing those holes are. And, you know, those holes are amazing. They're unbelievable. But every other hole on that golf course is pretty unbelievable as well. So it, it kind of, you know, those holes 1 through 14, and they get overshadowed a little bit by, by those uh, ocean holes. But, I mean, every hole on that course is so fun and entertaining and you know you got so many different shots and that you have to play and different looks kind of going through the dunes and into the trees and then out of the trees into the dunes and then you finally do get to those ocean holes it's just like it's amazing but but no one ever talks about any of those other holes and uh they're pretty awesome yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. I, I was absolutely blown away with how good the, the quote, other holes on the golf course uh, are. I just, like Zach said, you, you hear about 15, 16, 17. Uh, occasionally you hear some negative comments about 18, but you don't hear much about anything else. And I, somebody told me, who, who I talked to before I went out there, that when they had played it, the rest of the course was so good that they actually sort of forgot about the the other holes. And when I was there, I found myself in the in the exact same boat. You're it's just so overwhelmingly stunning, and the quality of golf is just so good uh, from the very first shot of the day that uh, it's really hard to look ahead to anything beyond what's right in front of you. I mean, bottom line, you get holes like eight, nine, the two short par fours. The 13th hole with the, the green backstop by the bunkers right next to the ocean. These are holes that are, you know, top 50 in the world, and no one ever talks about them. It, it's, and it's understandable because 15 through 17 really are otherworldly. I mean, they are as good as it can possibly get in the world of golf. But I, I was just stunned by how good the rest of the course was. It's incredible. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, no, go ahead. So I, I'm curious with you guys both being McDonald and Rainer fans, and obviously the Rainer had routed the course and then he passed away and Mackenzie kind of took over the project. How do you guys think uh, the course would be had Rainer been there and infused template hole golf into the course? Yeah, I mean, I've actually been, you know, I've talked about that before, and it's hard to say that it would have been better than it is, but I, you know, I argue that I don't think it would have been any worse, because, I mean, that piece of property with how spectacular it is, you see what, you know, Rainer was able to do over at uh, Fisher's Island, I mean, I think it would have been really good, but obviously, you know, Mackenzie with how magical he was with doing his bunkers and everything like that it fit awesome out there but I mean I think it would have been really special if uh, Rainer was able to do it but you know there's no knocking the way it is now yeah you, you'll never get me to admit that, that Rainer would not have been able to do as good of a job 
as, as any other architect with a given piece of property. Uh, as, as you guys both know, I think I'm just a Rainer fan to the, uh, to the extreme, so to speak. It's very interesting to think about the piece of property that Cypress sits on and where certain templates would go. I, I, when I was standing on the 8th key at Cypress, I found myself thinking that this would be a neat spot to build sort of an ounce punch bowl type of uh, a hole uh, if you extended it. There are a lot of neat possibilities in that regard. I, I've also played a lot more McRainer courses than McKenzie courses, and I'm sort of just now getting into the bigger parts of McKenzie's body of work. Um, but I will say that McKenzie's style suits that location about as good as any style could suit a location. I mean, the way he, he does his bunkering, the way he routed the golf, or I guess Rainer routed most of the golf course, but the way he took advantage of that routing, the way he sort of ignored the the, the usual way of of spacing the, the par threes and the par fives out, uh, I, I thought he did an incredible job. Um, I do think, though, that Rainer would have done uh, a as incredible of a job as uh, as McKenzie did. I, I'll never admit that Rainer would be outdone by somebody else. I'm just too big a fan. Interesting. So you guys have both played a ton in the Northern California area, and I'm uh, curious to hear, you know, there's a dearth of great golf out there, how you'd rank the courses, say, if you had to go one through five on the peninsula and including San Francisco. Well, I've never played San Francisco Golf Club, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I've I've heard it's great. But of the you know of the courses, and uh, so are we talking like Cypress, Pebble, Monterey Peninsula, Spyglass, and San Francisco Golf Club? Yeah, you could go San Francisco Golf Club, Cal Club, Olympic Club, um, Pasatiempo. All those are in play. Man, I haven't played it enough in San Francisco to really uh, dive into that, you know. And I haven't even been out to Pasatiempo. But I mean, as far you know, I've played I've played a lot out here. As far as the ones on the peninsula go, I mean, I, I give Cyprus, you know, the head over heels favorite for me. And then two would probably be Pebble Beach. Um, I wish it had a little bit more of a rugged look to it, like Cyprus has. Um, I think it's a little too cleaned up and everything like that. But then the next for me would be the uh, Shores course at Monterey Peninsula. I think that's one of the most unbelievable golf courses that no one ever talks about. You never hear anybody mention that place, and it's like one of the most visually most amazing places (laughs) that I've ever played you get so many of those holes right on the water that would be right up there with pebble for me and then uh spyglass so we're we're in large agreement zach for me cypress is by far and away the clear number one uh and and pebble is by far and away the the clear number two despite a few flaws that i think you and i would both agree could be cleaned up uh although acknowledging that pebble as a public resort course has some limitations that uh it has to sort of adhere to, given its business model. Um, three for me would be San Francisco Golf Club, which is an incredible Tillinghast golf course, uh, which you really have to see to believe. Zach, you got to get out there. You will absolutely adore it. Um, four, 
this is where it gets a little tough for me. Four, if I can sort of group them together, you'd be talking Monterey Peninsula for me, I believe. Um, I, I would have a hard time deciding between dunes and uh, shore. I love strands. The shore course is unbelievable. The dunes course really pleasantly surprised me, and we can talk about that in detail uh, if you want to, Andy. But uh, the, for the five spot for me, it, it would be a really difficult call to make between Cal Club and Pasatiempo. Uh, really like both of them. If you if you put a gun to my head, I'd, I'd go with Cal Club, but it's really close. I, I, I really liked both of those golf courses that happily play them at any time. Uh, there's just a lot of good golf between San Francisco and uh, Monterey. Uh, and Meadow Club is another one that, that I'd consider to be just as, uh, just as worthy as those two. So I guess I gave you seven instead of five, but uh, that would be my list. Hey, the more yeah, the Meadow Club's awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, MPCC, which uh, Alan Shipnuck called this week the best 36 holes of golf in America, uh, best 36 hole golf club in America. So love to hear what you guys think and of that statement and kind of how it would stack up with Wingfoot, Baltus Rawl, um, you know, and other ones that you've played. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say this. The oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Zach. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. I, I will say this. I, I liked it better than Wingfoot and Baltus Raw. Um, the scenery probably has a lot to do with that. And again, given that I am the uh, the uh, the rank hack of the uh, the group we have tonight, it also probably has a little bit to do with difficulty. I mean, I, I found Dunes and Shore to be much more playable. Uh, to some extent than Wingfoot, but to a, to a far extent, uh, Baltus Raw, which just crushes me. Um, and I do know that it is uh, it's sort of the goal of the club to be recognized in that grouping of the best 36 hole courses in the world. And uh, I certainly think they're on the right path. I mean, the, the Dunes course, and after Zach gives you his impression, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought of the Dunes. But uh, the two courses just, they're, they're incredibly beautiful. They, they mesh so well together. Uh, it doesn't feel crowded or cramped at all. The property is spectacular. And just the ambiance of playing so many holes with the Pacific Ocean in view uh, is an experience that you're just not going to be able to duplicate at, at other clubs around the country. It's just it's really a one-of-a-kind experience for a 36-hole club. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, I haven't been able to play the uh, Dunes course yet, but I played with uh, the Jackson Con guys that uh, you know were a major part in doing that out there. I was able to play with them at Scottsdale National last week and talked to them a lot about it. And, you know, went and walked around uh, yesterday and today, saw the place, and I mean, visually, it's unbelievable. And I mean, just. Just from the views, I mean, I don't know how you could beat that with any other 36-hole course that, that, that I know about in America. But, uh, I mean, like, I'm a huge fan of the, the, the Shores course. So if it's anything like the Shores course as far as playability and fun, I mean, that kind of takes the cake for me because, you know, Wingfoot is great and Baltistraw, they're great, but they're you know, they're championship major type tracks and venues, you know, they're ball busters. They're going to, you're going to go out there and they're going to be tough from, from the first hole to the last. And, uh, 
you know, each course, Baltusrol and Wingfoot, you know, they got their course that doesn't host the majors, which I've heard both of them are really good. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I'd probably give it to, uh, I'd probably give the nod to Monterey just because of uh, how fun they are and how playable they are for probably the everyday person. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's the shift in really architecture and people are starting to realize that championship golf and difficulty aren't the, you know, really true definition of a great golf course. I think they have a part in, you know, determining certain courses' greatness, um, but definitely not the, shouldn't be the defining factor. So, you know, Zach, you kind of parlayed perfectly into... um, talking about you know Scottsdale National and Jackson and Khan uh I'm curious what you thought about uh the bad little nine the little par three course that uh Bob Parsons built out there to be you know the hardest par three course in America I mean I don't know if I can say enough good things about you know my experience out at Scottsdale National just I mean from the moment we got there till the moment we left I mean I don't I seriously don't know if I've ever been to a club in my entire life that was as enjoyable and fun and inviting. And I mean, they just did everything that I could ever want at a club from the moment that I got out of my car till the moment I left. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, the golf was just kind of, it was awesome. I mean, that place is so cool. That that little nine-hole par three course is unbelievable. I mean, uh, it's definitely accomplished its goal of being the hardest par three course in, in the world, I bet. Um, you can make that place as hard as you would ever want it to be. Um, I guess on Fridays, they kind of set it up, you know, as hard as they can and give you a chance if you break par or shoot even they give you like a thousand dollar bar tab or something like that so it's a pretty cool little uh little game they get on fridays and i don't think anybody's even touched that you know going out there for the the first time that day but i mean it's so cool and at the same time they can set it up as easy as they want it too there's a lot that the greens are massive for the most part and there's a lot of undulation and slope and they can put pins in really easy spots and make it really fun for anybody of any skill level, I guess. Um, but I mean, it's so cool. Visually, it's awesome. They did a really good job out there, and I was able to see, you know, some of the other work they did out on the, the other course, which is, you know, looks like it's pretty tough and pretty good as well. So I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I got a lot of crap. Uh, I wrote in my newsletter that uh, Phoenix and Scottsdale was in over or like a below average golf town and i just i got shellacked <laughs> by people and I'd, I'd love to hear your guys's two takes on on the subject matter yeah take it away john <laughs> well I, look I, I i haven't played a lot of golf in the phoenix and scottsdale area and so my response to you would be i, I think it's it's reasonable to assume that there is a reason that I haven't played a whole lot of golf in the, uh, the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Um, I am not normally a big fan of desert golf. Um, visually, as far as playability goes, it just isn't a style of golf that appeals to me. By definition, desert golf isn't really, it can't really be minimalist. 
which I, I tend to gravitate toward that, that kind of a style. Um, everything is, is manufactured, and it's very difficult, I've found, for architects, and especially since a lot of those courses were built during uh, the same time period, when a lot of architects weren't even paying attention to that kind of thing, uh, what you end up with is a lot of courses that don't really fit into my typical preferred uh, style of play, so to speak. Uh, but I've been there once. Uh, I, I played half a dozen, seven, eight courses out that way. I liked a couple of them, didn't like uh, a couple others. Um, again, I, I don't like to, uh, to criticize an area or, uh, or a specific golf course too harshly, but it's just not an area that is, uh, is my cup of tea, so to speak. Uh, you know, there are, in the list of places in the United States that I would rather take a golf trip to, uh, there are probably 30 or 40 uh, locales that would be on that list ahead of uh, the Scottsdale area. they got great weather in the winter, though, so, I mean, they shouldn't be too upset. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think the easiest way to put that is, <laughs> like John just said, I think there's so many areas that are head over heels better that have such a bigger group of great golf courses that it's hard to head to Phoenix just for the weather or just for, you know, the handful of good golf courses when you could, you know, pick 30 other places in America that <laughs> have way more courses that are really, really good and uh, the weather's probably just as good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, my, my whole point was qual uh, quantity doesn't equal quality. So, um, so you know, speaking of, we were just talking about nine-hole courses. I'd love to hear um, some of your guys' favorite nine-hole courses that you've played. Yeah, I mean, that, that bad little nine was as cool as you get from a little par three. Uh, um, perspective, but one of my favorite courses, I think, in the entire world is uh, uh, Kahuku Golf Club or Golf Course, whatever, out in uh, on the North Shore in Hawaii. It's it's not always in the best shape, um, but I mean, man, it's on the coolest piece of property, and it's got some really cool holes with some great little green complexes, and you know, I think if that if that place ever got any money put into it, I think it would be the best nine hole course in the world probably I gotta get out to Hawaii um, in my book it would be Dunes Club number one um, by a pretty wide margin Mike Kaiser's playground uh, in uh, southwestern Michigan is uh, just a terrific place again it's it's got the, the architecture it's got the vibe uh, it's got so many holes that can be played by, from different angles from different keys that really changes the composition of the golf course which I think is terrific uh, a close second would be Whitensville um, south of Boston which is an old Donald Ross nine hole course uh, that is both beautiful and just terrific to play uh, absolute blast anybody who lives in the northeast needs to see that place um, and then beyond that it gets a little bit tough um, there are a couple that I know I will love that I need to see like Culver and Sweden's Cove um, but uh, I think Dunes Club and Whitensville would be the clear top of the list for me for nine hole courses yeah I another cool uh, another cool little nine hole course uh, in St. George Utah is uh, the Sand Hollow Links 9 at uh, 
Yeah, Sand Hollow. That's that. I think that's probably the best course in uh, in Utah. So that's another cool one to check out if you're ever in the area. That place looks yeah, like that's a great one. About as visually stunning as any course I've ever seen. That Sand Hollow. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, I played a I played a cool little nine hole down in Orlando uh, Winter Park. It's like a it was. 2400 yards and then they brought in uh keith reb and riley johns and then also blake conant the two of the guys you know that have done a ton of work for Corin crenshaw and they turned this little place like it's you know nine holes 2400 yards and it, it's like really it's kind of like strategic tough the greens are amazing uh the complexes the bunkering is phenomenal like if you short side yourself out there you are just toast I think I made four birdies and four bogeys and nine. I think nine hole golf is is got to get more popular. I think it's awesome. You know, it's it's you know, eighteen is a long time suck for you know some people. I think nine, you know, these nine hole courses I think are so cool. So speaking yeah, of, I agree. I completely agree. Speaking of, I, I love non traditional courses. Yeah. Um, it, that plays right into the next question I had. What what kind of unique golf designs would you like to see more of in the future, whether it's like that sheep ranch model where it's tee the ball anywhere, play to any hole, um, more so like, you know, they have like nine greens and you can play it any way you want, uh, like five-hole courses or short courses, putting courses. What, what do you guys kind of would you like to see more of in the future? I think, like, uh, nine-hole courses and par three, like, little nine-hole par three courses. The other ones are are really cool concepts, I think, to me. Um, You know, like the five-hole courses or the, you know, the sheep ranch type deal where you can play to any green you want. They're really cool on paper, but if you ever get any demand and people actually want to go play that type of place, it gets really hard, you know, when there's multiple groups out there and they're like, you know, a couple people are trying to go to the same green and people are hitting over people's heads. Like they sound really cool, but I just don't think they work. So, I mean, what we were just saying, I think nine hole courses are very undervalued and very, you know, no one seems to want to build them for whatever reason, but you know, I think they're really fun. Like that Kahuku course is as cool as it gets. And you know, it takes, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, and you're out of there at max. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach, Zach is right about the the, the sheep ranch course, and uh, we talked about this recently. But there's another uh, model where that we were speaking about, where you, you could play as a nine hole par three course, a three hole full length course, uh, and what have you. But it's just not workable if there's more than a group or two out there, because otherwise it's just a crossfire. So it, it's I, I do agree though it. For me, Friar's Head does this perfectly if you're talking about little extras for the members that make the course a really fun place or the club a really fun place to be. Friar's Head has its big 18-hole core Crenshaw course, which is fantastic. But beyond that, they also have a 9-hole par 3 course that you can go play around on if you just want to get a quick uh, a quick loop in. They have an incredible practice facility with two short game greens and a full driving range. And then they have uh, a Himalaya-style full putting course that you can play on for as long as you want to. Uh, and I just think that those are incredible amenities for either a membership or for a resort to have. 
as an alternative to going out on the big course and, and maybe losing four hours that you might not otherwise have. Um, if it were up to me, uh, every club that could afford one would have a putting course. I just think they're incredibly fun. Uh, I think it's a, a relatively inexpensive way uh, to add a, a very desirable feature, an alternative feature to a course, and I think you'll see a lot of that uh, in the near future at uh, at high-end clubs that have the room to put one down. Yeah, I think it's... Um, I heard Bally Neal in uh, Colorado is putting in, like, a Himalaya-style course. They, they've got a lot of stuff. That's a cool place I, I want to check out this year. Um, so since we've got, you know three of the biggest McDonald's and Rainer fans on the planet on this podcast. <laughs> I think we have to talk a little bit about, you know, template golf and um, curious what you got, your guys' uh, favorite template holes are and, you know, why they're your favorite. I really like the punch bowl Alps combo, like at uh, Fisher's Island. I think it's really cool just kind of hitting to that flagpole and then kind of getting up to the top of the hill and seeing where your, uh, you know, your ball ended up. I think it's, you know, a hole that they don't build as much as I think they should anymore. It's just a fun way to spice things up. But I would say that or a, a Beeritz screen probably. Yeah, I mean, the, the third at National and the fourth at Fisher's Island are probably two of my ten favorite holes that, that I've ever played. So I certainly agree. I'll I don't know why they. It, it, you don't see as many of them as you used to, but uh, it's certainly one that I love. I also love the Levin template that you, you don't see too often, uh, but whenever I play a, uh, a Rainer course that still has its, its Levin hole intact, uh, it always ends up being one of my favorites on the golf course. Um, and, of course, the Redan is always a wonderful hole to play. Yeah, it's interesting. I, was, I met a member of a club. I'll keep it nameless. Uh, you know, I don't want to bother anybody but they brought in a architect who looked at their alps punch bowl template and they you know they were having drainage problems which is one of the reasons that modern architecture went away from the punch bowl um even though they had technology that could help those drainage problems and uh you know this this unnamed architect who has a track record for you know uh dismantling rainer courses he said, you know, you need to just raise this punch bowl green up. And he turned the green into a plateau green. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, that's just what happened in the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I think. And uh, hopefully, I, it seems like we're getting back to, to punch bowls. I know uh, Gil Hans has a new one at... Uh, stream song black that I saw that looks pretty cool um, I'd say in terms of my favorite template hole I you know I'm a sucker for the short I think that I I've made so many bogeys on short holes because like the green is just so tough if you don't hit it in the exact right spot you know you're, you're gonna walk away with a bogey I mean I think I mean, the the way we talk about these holes, it's it's pretty unbelievable to hear that, you know, how much we love the punch bowl and how much we love the Redan and how much we love the short and the Levin and the road hole and stuff like that. And to see it not them not built more, 
it's just it like mind-boggling every day when I think about it I'm just like where did people fall off the wagon and think that it was you know okay to stop building these courses I mean they were used at every one of you know Rainer and McDonald courses and people loved all their courses all of those all their courses are so unbelievably fun to play that it was like they understood if the you know if it wasn't broke why try and fix it and they kept using it and kept low. using it and it kept working yeah exactly yeah and then then someone came along and was like you know we shouldn't do those anymore we should build you know a course that is so hard and people you know are going to lose all these golf balls and they can't remember any of the holes like i mean we remember all these template holes so well because they're so enjoyable and fun it's just like all of them are so good at the end of the day. They're all awesome. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. These are holes with a, with a defined and demonstrated and very long track record of success. And, and like you said, people adore these holes. It makes no sense to me. And, and when you see some of these Rainer courses up and around New York and some of the courses that Charlie Banks built using these templates, a lot of these courses are on a really dull pieces of land. But the fact that they put these templates in and adapted them to that land, they were able to turn a, a, an otherwise very mediocre piece of ground into a course, like Zach said, that, that you remember every hole on the golf course. Uh, if, if it was just a normal, typical, modern-day design, you'd walk off the course and you wouldn't be able to remember a thing. It just it, it, Mind-boggling is the perfect phrase for it. Yeah. Like, I, when I go to a course built by... I mean, it's really sad to say, and I harp on it every time I get on a podcast or talk about it, but any course that's been built in the last, like, 40 years, I could, you know, I remember holes really good, but, I mean, I can't differentiate half the par threes that any of these, these architects build because they want to build every par three at, two, you know, 205 to 225 and have a small green that, that's hard to hit and you got to carry a bunker and so you can't even get a shot close to a front pin especially if it's downwind and then half the time they're downhill and it's just like i can't even remember any of the par threes and then you go to a you know a mcdonald or, or a rainer course and you got these template holes and you literally remember them to a t exactly the way they played exactly how the green was and you know why you like it so much was so defined because they kept doing the same stuff over and over so it's just it's so weird to me yeah i think everybody got in their own way you know and wanted to create their own genius when really the greatest architects just took the principles from you know the british isles and what old tom morris was doing and james braid and uh you know really just you know kind of learn from them as opposed to you know i think in the 50s 60s they got their technology all of a sudden they could use cad and create you know it, i always laugh when i look at bunkers it's like you can tell when they had the computer software because all of a sudden these bunkers are perfect little circles and they look completely awful <laughs> um <laughs> it's um so, you know, I think uh, John touched on Levin being an underappreciated template hole. Zach, do you have an underappreciated template hole? Man, I really like kind of the, uh, you know, you've talked about it a lot, the kind of like the volcano type uh, green 
that kind of falls off on all the sides. I don't think that's uh, used as much as it should be on some of those shorter kind of risk reward drivable type par fours. I think that's that's something that is missing out on a lot of places. I think. Yeah, volcano greens are really cool. Um, you know, like, have you played out of Bedford Springs, John? Yes. They've got a good one, right? They do. They do. Bedford Springs is a really uh, underrated Ross course. Um, a lot of fun to play. Uh, neat elevation change. The course kind of sits in a valley uh, between two mountains, so that the holes play up the sides, uh, which is how you end up with a volcano hole that fits the surroundings very well. But it's a neat place. And, yes, that is a really nice example of the volcano uh, template. Yeah, another great one is a short little par four. Holston Hills has a great one. Um, Lulu Country Club has a great one. Um, I got to do a post on Volcano Holes. It'll be uh, one of these in the future. Um, so outside, you know, I think we've talked enough. We have. We'll still talk probably more. Rainer McDonald Banks. So if you were going to go play a golf course in a city, and somebody had to say, you know, we've got every architect. Um, that's de- designed a course here, and you can't choose McDonald, Rainer, or Banks. Who are you going with, and why? I'd go with McKenzie. Um, yeah, I probably would too. You know, I don't know if I've ever played a McKenzie course that I don't really, really like. So I would probably say him, or I've played a lot of Tillinghast courses that I really have enjoyed. You know, Somerset Hills is one of my favorite courses in the world, and that's kind of one of the places that I've said that if there was, if I could choose one course to play for the rest of my life, that that might be the one. So you know, I think I might have to throw his name in in the mix too. Yeah, I think Tillinghast. Uh... He's one of my all-time favorites as well. And Somerset Hills, first course I ever uh, did a photo tour of. It, it is an amazing place. Uh, it's my favorite Tillinghast course uh, by a, a pretty good margin and uh, certainly one of my favorite courses in the area. So uh, I can certainly respect that pick. Yeah, it's a Tilly, I, I think William Flynn's really criminally underrated. I haven't played a bad Flynn course. Um, but pro- I'd probably go with Mackenzie or... or uh, Tilly, too. Um, so, if you guys could restore or renovate one golf course in America, what would it be and why? I think I would do Augusta and uh, take it back to kind of how it was originally. I see some pictures of some of those green complexes back in the day, the really wild-looking ones that are, and some of those the bunkers how they were like a little more cypress pointy with the kind of jagged lines and they weren't all so perfect i think that would be a really cool place uh not not that augusta isn't amazing but i think that would kind of be a cool little thing to get it back to uh the way it was when they first uh built that place oh man that's a that's amazing <laughs> it's uh i think yeah you you look at it now and obviously it you know it's gets a lot of coverage and there's all sorts of synonymous love for it but what it was originally to what it is now is it's a shell of itself and 
you know, a certain family got their hands on it for a while, which we'll keep nameless. What about you, John? Uh, so I would love to do a very faithful uh, and caring restoration at Yale. Uh, I, I, it's one of my favorite courses as it is. Uh, it's an iconic McDonald Rainer course. Um, but I would love to put the third green back where it's supposed to be. Uh, and I would love to just touch up the course, widen the greens out to their original, to their original sizes, sharpen up the edges again, get the conditioning under control so that the course played firmer and faster and bouncier and the ball started moving on the ground like it's supposed to there. Uh, and I think if, you got the right person to do that and spent a little bit of money to get it where it could be, it would be one of the 10 or 20 best courses in the world. That's cool. Yeah, I remember playing Yale. Uh, I went up there last year after the uh, PGA right before the Hartford event. And, you know, obviously I'm a big C.B. McDonald, Seth Rayner fan, so I really enjoyed it. But I thought, I mean, I thought the same thing. I just couldn't believe the... Uh, you know, the condition the place was in, you know, especially with, I mean, that place has got to just be, they've got to have some deep pockets around that area, obviously, that I think they could do so much with that place. And I mean, it's a shame that it's not in like mint condition, to be honest. Yeah. And, and look, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a conditioning freak. You know, I, I don't mind playing courses that are a little scruffy. I, I don't, you know, I'm not one of these guys that needs wall-to-wall green everywhere, and I know you're not either, Zach. The problem I have with it is the conditions at Yale impact the way the golf course plays, and it keeps the course from playing like McDonald and Rayner wanted and expected it to play. It's so soft, it doesn't, the ball doesn't move on the ground like it has to, to take advantage yeah. of those wonderful architectural features that they have there. It's just, it's really, in my view, a tragedy uh, just knowing what it could be if, uh, and I don't even think it would take that much work. I, I don't know why. I mean, granted, it's a very difficult piece of property, and I'm sure that there are drainage issues that I haven't even thought of. I mean, I'm not an architect. But it's just given what they have there and the amazing architectural bones of that place, it, it's something that I would desperately like to see at some point. Not not to mention the alumni base. You know? <laughs> it's like, I imagine... That's what you, I'm saying. You could get a... Fun- <laughs> right. A fundraiser together and a couple million bucks pretty easily and and you could you know get a guy like Silva who's done you know great jobs with Rainer restorations and get him out there and it would it would be you know I'd 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 imagine that the course given what I've seen from photos and you know how bold the design is I mean it, it would be a top 50 golf course in in the in the country no problem easily way easily. higher easily yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm dead serious when I tell you that if you gave Silva a, a couple million bucks and a year to do his work, you're ending up with a top 20 golf course. And as far as the money goes, look, I mean, I don't throw a couple million dollars around easily, but I will tell you this, the, the you know, you're talking about a fundraiser. Yale has an endowment of $25 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. You'd think that just for the good of the game, they could carve off a little slice of that and throw it at the golf course, if you know what I mean. I don't even think that's a slice when you're talking billions. <laughs> that's like a little crumb. That's a little crumb. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. It it would be good for it'd be good for the students, you know? Be good for their well being. Yeah, I, I'm playing with a Yale alum this week at the uh, Pebble Beach. Maybe I'll have a little talk with her about it, see if she can uh, yeah. get things working over there. Yeah, get on Which there. As, are you, you know? Get on there as a consultant. No, no, we'll do it. The three of us will do it for half fee. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That'll be my that'll be my first big gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, um, what's one architect that? you haven't seen a lot of and uh, that you're looking forward to seeing more of like you know I, I always think that when you see a handful of golf courses by an architect every time you play a new one you get a greater appreciation for them so I'm curious who you guys want to see more of I'd probably say you know you mentioned it earlier but you know William Flynn you know you hear of some of the courses that he's done that are, that are so amazing and I have a couple friends that are huge fans of his and they you know tell me that he's their favorite and I've only seen a couple and they've both been uh, really really good so probably him you well, Zach, come on out here because we are spoiled with William Flynn courses in the Philadelphia area uh, we, we have great ones everywhere uh, out this way um, for me it would either be Mackenzie, uh, I'm kind of on a little bit of a Mackenzie uh, hunt lately, given that I, I just played my first couple of them uh, over the uh, the last 18 months or so, and uh, obviously love his work so far. I think I've played six of his courses in total, and I'd like to get that number up. Uh, like Zach said earlier, I've yet to see one of his courses that I didn't really like. Uh, but beyond that, I'd, I'd love to see some more Langford courses. Yeah, that's... Uh... You gotta come to the Midwest, John. We can do. Uh, I've been talking yeah. to this uh, to Blake Conant, who's a construction uh, guy for you know golf courses, and he wants to do a Langford Moreau tour where we play like five courses in three days. You guys are pretty are lucky, you know. You're that? sitting here saying, "I want to," you know, "I want to see more of this," and you say, "Come here," and you say, "I want to see more of this," and you say, "Well, you come to." and I'm stuck out there in Utah where there's absolutely no good ones. So, uh... <laughs> you know, Zach, I think you got the world's smallest violin given your uh, occupation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Um, you know, another... Well, that, I will agree with you there. Uh, no, nobody has paid me to play golf yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... You guys are right. Uh, that was... That was a bad timing. <laughs> yeah, well, both... anyway, you're fixing you're fixing the Utah problem anyway, right, Zach? So you know, pretty soon yeah, that won't be a problem. Yeah, that's the that's the plan. The there's another guy I've been wanting to see is uh, A. B. McCann, who designed a ton of courses up in the Northwest, and you know these guys that follow Friday have been telling me all about them. But you know, one of the places he originally laid out was Cal Club. And then he's just got, yep. you know, a, a flood of designs up in Oregon and and uh, Washington. Um, lots of great country clubs. You know, obviously one of the big problems up there is that they are very, very overgrown. So probably all need big tree removal projects done. A.B. McCann, uh, just point out, lawyer by day. <laughs> See? 
That's that's why you need to get is hired there any, for this Is there deal. any golf course uh, architects like around you know that are building courses right now that you guys would uh, want to go see more of their stuff? Good question. I mean, I, I'll play any core Crenshaw course based on name alone. I, I think their work is is sort of the best of the modern architects, along with Tom Doak. I mean, anywhere I go, if there's a course by one of those guys, I will check it out, just assuming that it's going to be very good, given what I've seen of their work already. Gil Hans is another guy I really like. Um, I was talking to Andy about this the other day. Uh, David David Eschler is a guy who's moving up on that list for me, given what I've, the little that I've seen of his work and what I'm hearing about his uh, the work that he's currently doing. Um but those are those are really my guys. I mean, there's not many modern architects whose name alone will draw me to the course beyond the, the ones I just gave you. You know, I'm really excited to. I I want to go up to the Pacific Northwest. There's this guy Dan Hickson, who I met at the PGA show. He designed a. He's been working for nine years on this reversible course. Obviously, Dokes opened last year, but this guy's been working on this reversible course for for almost a decade. And um, he's got just like the most incredible story. So he has no uh, social media handles. He has no website, you know. And I'm like, how how do people get a hold of you? He goes, I figure they'll you know find a way to get a hold of me if, if they really want to. And uh, and it turned you know he played uh, professionally. He's as you know his father was a, a golf pro in the area. And he was a head pro, and then one day he just decided he wanted to be a golf course architect, quit his job, and didn't go work for anybody, worked for himself, started doing like tees and bunker, like singular tees and bunkers for courses around the Pacific Northwest. And now I think this will be his third solo design, but, you know, kind of a crazy story. I'm actually writing about it now. So um, that guy I really want to see. And then Dave Essler, uh, I'm really. He's got this project called Pacific Gales, which is on the uh, the Oregon coast. And from what I've heard, it might be a better piece of property than any of the Bandon courses, which is crazy. That Dan Hickson guy does a lot of good stuff up there too. A lot of people, uh, you know, always are in my ear about that guy. You know, trying to get him to help out and stuff like that. So. I think there's a lot of good guys, you know, a lot of people that do it now, I think are pretty good. I think my biggest knock on anybody who builds golf courses right now, every every single one of them makes the greens way too challenging and way too crazy. Um, I just think you see so many of those old golf courses that are so fun and enjoyable. The greens are so tame. And, you know, there's a handful of greens on, on, on a lot of those old courses that are wild, you know, but they're they're at appropriate places, whether it's, you know, a par five or a short par four, or, you know, occasionally on, on a little par three. But, you know, for the, for the most part, the greens on those really good golf courses from the golden age, they're just, they're so fun to putt. You know, they're not crazy and not too wild, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I would agree with you. I played. Uh, I've played a, a good. I'm now getting to be playing a, a good amount of dope courses, and that's just like my common complaint with them. I thought Streamsong Blue, he did the best job I've seen. Where, like, he, you know, 
it's like you know, like uh, you want to challenge a great player by with these greens, but you know, you got to give somebody a place to land the ball. Like I hate when you hit a shot ten feet from the flag and it spins down to like eighty feet away, or you know, if you land it one yard further, it would kick off the back of the green. Like that, that to me is not, you know, that's not challenging. That's just kind of stupid, you know. And I think um, I would agree with you in certain extent with you know I think a lot of new architects do a great job with it though I think I think Bill Coor and Crenshaw do an awesome job um, rewarding really good golf shots while you know like if you hit an average one you don't have a good look I think like making it relatively flat around the pin is is so you know people try and it's like anything they try and reinvent the wheel but like you know if I hit it to eight feet on a 440 yard par four I should be given a pretty good look at birdie yeah yep I agree and not only that but you'll also end up with with ancillary benefits like better pace of play uh you give the the golfer the feeling like he can make some putts as opposed to just trying to lag everything through the crazy humps and swales and you, you don't have as many three putts which you know nobody likes to three putt uh, so you end up with a happier golfer at the end of the round, too. I mean, that's what, you, you, Zach, you said it. You, you look at these old classic courses, what do you see? You see huge greens that aren't necessarily flat and boring, but that have spots where you can make putts. And, you yeah. know, that, that's, that's certainly my preference. You talk about the Alps punch bowl green. Just think about that green at Fishers Island. It's this gigantic green that has a, a, a dividing hump running through the middle of it, but if you're on the correct side of the green, you're going to have a really nice look at a birdie, whether it's from 5 feet or, or 20 feet, because the greens, other than that one feature, are relatively tame. Uh, to me, that's all you really need. You know, you, you don't need 50 different swales and mounds and bumps and bounces in, in every single green on the course. There's a, there's a place for it, I think. Uh, Monterey Peninsula Dunes Club is a great example of it. The, the fifth green there is this drivable par 4. And the green is just insane. If you made 18 of those, you'd have a problem. But in, in isolation, in moderation, that kind of extreme green, I think, does have a place. It's just when they go over the top with it and you end up with stressful putting situations time and time again, like Andy said, no matter how good your approach shots are, I just don't find that to be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I hate, I just, my biggest thing that I hate is when I get onto a green, you know, of one of those newer courses and I've, you know, hit a couple of decent shots, I guess, and maybe I haven't played that course enough to know where all the the right places to miss are and I'm stuck all of a sudden with a with a putt where I literally have no chance to get this ball close. You know, the best you're going to do is is 12 feet if you hit like the miracle best putt of your life. You're going to have like a 12-footer. And I've just I don't see that all that often on on some of those older courses. You know, I don't think you're in spots where you can't get it close as much on those older courses as you are on the newer courses that are you know being built today. Hey, did you watch the end of that golf last week, the playoff? I didn't. Uh-huh. They, you, which one are you talking about? Andy? The waste management, the one, the one with Simpson. Yes, I did. I saw. I saw the playoff. He ended up so on seventeen, Zach. He ended up with that right. back pin. He ended up. Right, yeah, couldn't get. 
on the back right corner, I kind of, I, nobody said anything. I almost said something, but I was like, that's kind of a stupid pin, you know? I, I did a, hear them say something during the telecast. It, it's like. Yeah, that's an interesting hole. I don't know where he was, but you can, on that hole, like if you're on the green, if you're on the back right of that green and the pin's all the way in that little back little finger, you can like boomerang it around. There is a way, but if you don't hit it really good, you know, you could like hit it in the bunker or in the water. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting hole. But again, that's, that's one of those areas where it is on like a 320 yard drivable hole, you know, that makes you think, do I want to hit a driver up there? And if I don't hit it good, I'm totally botched over on the right where I don't have any sort of angle. Like that's why Hideki was hitting his three wood on that hole to the front of the green. Cause even if he blocked it, he knew that he would have a shot. Yeah. So that's one that I don't mind as much, you know, because it makes you think off the tee, you know, if, if Webb was going to hit one out there to the right with the driver or whatever he hit and got it too far up, then he was really kind of Jimmy there and, and wouldn't have a good angle. So that's kind of like more of a strategic thing there because that green's not too out of control by any means. It's just yeah. if you miss that shot in the wrong spot, like with a drive going for the green, you can be in a really, really bad spot. Weiskopf is actually, I, I played the, so he redid that course, you know, I don't know if he built that course yeah, and redid built, it, but they redid it. that a couple of years ago. And he redid the new, the new, he did the redo at the, the North course at Torrey Pines. And I thought he did a really good job. I've actually really enjoyed both of those, uh, both of those redos. I, I thought he did a really good job with them. You know, he did, um, TPC deer run too. Which That's is... another course that I think is really, really fun. They got a little drivable hole there too that uh i think it's like the 15th hole or something like that or 14 and it's kind of the same thing they can get a back pin there that if you do decide to go for it with a with a driver and you hit it right of the green you can literally have no angle and you can be in a really bad spot where you just have to like chip it out and take like a 20 footer but again that's that's on a rare circumstance where it is a drivable hole and that's the same thing with 17. It's kind of like that at, at TPC Sawgrass. I mean, uh, TPC, uh, that one last week, TPC Phoenix, Scottsdale, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, that the I like Deer Run. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty solid little track. It's it's cool. There's a couple of little quirks and goofy things about it, but I, I feel like you know White's that's where me and you met. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that yeah. was. That was uh first interview. So uh the um sure. Yeah, I I played I've probably played tournament golf out there like 15 20 times. It is it's a cool little course. Great great value too. I think you can play two rounds out there with the replay rate for like 130 bucks peak season, which you know. The last 2 years it has poured. I haven't got to play that place firm and fast like you see it, you know. I mean, dang, when Stricker and Zach Johnson were winning out there, like, eight out of nine years, 
that place was so firm. It had like the longest drives on tour. You know, people were hitting it like 370, like 360 on some of those holes. It was just rolling forever. And I was just like keeping my fingers crossed that this year that I can actually get a drive over 300 yards maybe once. (laughs) (laughs) So what's it like playing with like a guy like Gary Woodland where like, I mean, like what are you thinking about when, when, when when you're out there and he's hitting it like wedge and you're hitting, you know, a, a mid iron in? I think the the craziest example maybe ever was I played with Bubba at the players one year, uh, last year, in a practice round. And I remember getting up on, what hole is it? It's like uh, maybe hole six. And it's a short hole, but I like to hit driver up there because if I hit a good drive, I got a wedge. And, you know, some of the guys were maybe laying back with irons or whatever, and I thought it was a good hole for me to you know, if I hit it good, it was kind of an advantage for me to get it up there. And so I was hitting driver one day in this practice round, and I just, like, smoked a couple of them. And Bubba's like, hand me the two iron. And he was hitting this, like, 30-yard, like, low fade, like, getting a foot off the ground. You know, this thing is, like, going 20 yards past my driver. And I got up there and was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this guy's hitting iron past my driver I was like this is the most crazy thing ever and it I mean but I mean I see it all the time guys just bombing it way past me it's uh but you know I figure if I can make some putts and hit some good uh, long irons it kind of makes up for it yeah this is a, I mean lots of ways to skin a cat you know yeah the 300 yard drive helps skin it faster though so yeah. <laughs> I would think so it's um is is Bubba? Do you think he's the uh, most like who's like the guy that you are most in kind of awe of? Like the way they play is he is he the number one guy that's like just kind of like from a just watching play like kind of shocking? Yeah, yeah, I think he plays. You know, he just plays solely off feel. You know, he has all these wild shots and can do so much with the golf ball. It's pretty amazing to see. Um, I mean, God, he hits it so far, and he can hit it so high, and it's it's just pretty wild. It's it's pretty cool to see. All right, so let's get back on uh, on subject here with golf courses. Uh, John and Zach would love to hear both of you. Uh, you know, some trips you got lined up that you're excited about for the summer. Yeah, sure. I'm, got, I'm going back to uh, to Northern California in uh, at the end of April. Uh, I'm, I'm awfully excited to get back out there, um, see what we can find to play in that area. I'm sure there's a, there's a few courses left. Um, I, uh, I'm finally going to uh, to hit Ohio for a long overdue golf trip. Um, we talked a little about this last time, Andy, but there are just so many courses out there that I'm dying to see. Uh, so that'll be a good one. And then uh, I, I have my uh, my wife's big trip to uh, Idaho this summer for her big race that uh, I'm going to tag along for and uh, play the uh, Cordelline courses, play Rock Creek Cattle Company, which I really am looking forward to seeing. Uh, maybe go up into Canada and play Banff, uh, and then maybe do a little bit uh, of a western trip from there to play uh, Gaza Ranch and uh, Gamble Sands in uh, in Washington. So that, that's one I'm really looking. Well, I'm excited. Uh, next week, 
I'm hopefully going to go play the Valley Club, which is uh, Mackenzie Gym down on the way to Los Angeles. And then I usually try and get over to uh, LACC during the uh, during the week sometime. So those are um, anticipated. I, I love LA. I've played there a bunch, but it's always one that I like to go back to. And then uh, I'm going to go play the Everglades Club during uh, the week of the Honda. So I'm excited to go play that little Seth Rayner track. I've heard it's a, a cool little quirky little place. So I'm uh, excited to see that. But some of the ones, you know, I've, I've had a couple people uh, help out and try and get me out at Yeaman's Hall, which I've wanted to see for a while. And then, uh, you know, I always talk about Essex and uh, Myopia Hunt. Uh, so those are kind of the ones that I really want to see, I guess. And then, geez, well, I mean, I haven't played, obviously, enough golf in San Francisco. So, you know, Cal Club and SF Club are two, two that I really want to go check out. Awesome. That's, Have uh... you played Valley Club yet, Ben? No, I haven't. Now, every year after, you know, I always drive the whole West Coast. So we, we drive from Pebble down to uh, L.A., and, I mean, we drive right past it. And I'm always like, next year we'll play. And then the next year passes. And I'm like, we'll go next year. But uh, never it's have. It's so good. You're going to love it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a I've seen a lot of pictures of that play. It's just beautiful. You'll love it. Um, yeah. That I, it, so where do you guys stand uh, LACC versus RIV? Um. I'm I'm a huge LA fan, so I mean, it's not even an argument for me. But that's uh, that's just how I feel, I guess. I think Riviera is a terrific golf course, though. I'd happily play any time that I'm in LA. Um, I think it's one of the. I think it's rightfully considered one of the top 100 or even top 50 golf courses in the United States. I think it's easily worthy of that designation. But to me, LACC is in another is in another universe. Uh, LACC is one of the 10 best courses that I've ever played. I think it is phenomenal in every respect. Um, I, I am desperate to get back out there and see the newly renovated South course, but the uh, the North course at LACC is, is top 10 in the country for me as far as I'm concerned. I, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, Riv is awesome. It's really, really good. Um, but like, like John said, LA is just it's on a it's in a different league i think and i actually got to go out and uh check out the renovated south course when they were uh building it last year with uh, jeff shackleford and he took me around the place and showed me all the plans and stuff like that and we went kind of hole by hole and that place is going to be really really cool i think that will be, you know, on that list of best 36-hole clubs because I think it'll be such a perfect uh, secondary course. It'll be, it's a shorter track, and it's going to be really fun and a lot of, you know, different looks. So I'm really excited to uh, check that out. That's awesome. So um, let's get to some Twitter questions here um, before I let you guys go. Um, so Chester wants to know, What's the best golf course under 6,800 yards from the tips? Easy. Cypress Point. Yeah, 
snipers is uh, I don't know how I don't know how long Fisher's Island is, but Fisher's has got to be kind of yeah. Fisher's has got to be in that in that argument as well. Shore Acres, yeah, Fisher's really good, and there's no way Fisher's is over sixty eight hundred yards. Yeah, Shore Acres is under sixty eight. That's another great course. Lots of great golf courses under sixty eight hundred yards. I think out out in Philly. To be honest with you, I bet you most of the McRainer courses that we know and love are under 6,800 yards. I mean, I, I bet you that, yeah. uh, that 80% of them are under 68. And by the way, as I'm looking at my little iPad right now, uh, uh, Somerset Hills, which we all love, is 67.56 from the tips. So that should be on that list as well. Yep, for sure. I think, you know, I think yardage is so overrated when it comes to difficulty. And I think we're seeing it more and more, like, to a certain extent, like, it's all based off of conditioning. If it's firm and fast, and you probably can attest to this more, Zach, but that's the ultimate defense, I imagine, for a golf course. When it's soft, these guys will tear it up, you know, and you'll tear it up regardless. Yeah, Yeah, like, a perfect example of that is, like, the Utah Championship you know, they, they had it at Thanksgiving Point, which is, like, this really long golf course, like, around 8,000 yards. But it was, like, it was so firm, and it's in the summer. And I kept trying to tell the guys, like, that set up the tournament and that, that run the thing that I said, listen, guys, it doesn't matter how firm this place is. I mean, how long this place is. If it's this firm, guys are going to be hitting it 400 yards in Utah. You know, the ball's rolling forever. So yardage, I think, honestly, you can kind of throw it out the window because, like you said, if you get it on a firm day, you can get the ball rolling so far that, you know, yardages don't really mean all that much. And then the second point you said, if it gets soft, it doesn't matter how long the golf course is, guys are going to play good when you can aim at the stick and hit it on a number and it's going to stop on that number. These guys out here are so good that, it doesn't matter. You could have 600-yard par fours, and guys are going to make pars because they can hit their third shot to 10 feet and make the putt. So it, it yardage, I don't think, really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you say that, Zach, because from my perspective as somebody who who, who is not nearly the caliber of golfer that, that the two of you are, when it's firm and fast, it actually allows me, no matter how long the course is I'm playing, and I'm not a long hitter by any means, uh, it sort of neutralizes that that advantage that, that raw length gives and allows me to play with guys who hit it much, much further than I do because it brings all the other elements of my game into play and I can, I can get some back with you know creativity and good play around the greens or making putts. Whereas if, if it's just a long, stretched-out, soft course, I'm at a natural disadvantage if I'm just hitting hybrids into every green where my opponent's hitting seven irons or eight irons or wedges. And, you know, the softer the course, the easier it's going to be to dial in those yardages, like you were saying. So I just, for a, for a player of my caliber, or lack of caliber, I guess, it's it's always nice when that distance issue is sort of negated by a, a really well-conditioned firm and fast course. Yeah, firm and fast is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, on our list of uh, under 6,800-yard courses, two that I, I feel compelled to mention, 
Eastward Ho uh, on the Cape up in Massachusetts, which is one of my all-time favorites, maxes out at something like 6,300 yards, and it is as good a course as you'll ever want to play. So that's a great one. And then Crystal Downs is another one uh, that I was thinking of that I think is about 6,500 yards from the back, uh, which is easily one of the best courses in the country. It's amazing when you look at how many of these truly classic courses are are under 6,800 yards that uh, I think are universally loved and appreciated by all caliber players. So it really does say something, I think, about distance and how how its impact is so overrated by so many people. Yeah, you know, sometimes you get some of those courses that are short like that, but they got cross bunkers and they got hazards in the right places that force you to make decisions. Like, do I take this hazard on with a driver or a three-wood and bring, you know, big numbers into play, or do I just lay back and have a mid-iron in? Which, you know, that that does the, the whole thing of negating what a total yardage of a golf course is. Because if you're going to lay back with a three iron or a hybrid off the tee and take a six iron in, that's making those 385 to 440 yard holes into long par fours. You know what I mean? Because if you're if you're hitting mid iron in, it doesn't matter what you hit off the tee. You're still hitting a mid iron in into the green. So I think that's where those guys were so good back then at you know strategically placing the hazards in the right spot that made you think because now you know a lot of the times you just see a couple hazards on you know you see a bunker on the left and a bunker on the right and you can hit it as far as you want dead straight and that shortens the golf hole you know and the guys you know you know the driver is one of the easiest clubs in the bag to hit now because of how forgiving it is and you know how good the balls are and everything like that guys can hit it long and straight you know they get you know, when you, you throw something in the, the middle of the fairway or something that you kind of have to think about, that's when golf gets a little harder and gets a little, you know, tougher to think about shots. Yeah, great point. I agree. I had Michael Clayton on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, he was spectacular. And, he you know, he's got this old school golf, you know, kind of vibe to him. And the thing he thought that was just so criminal about the professional game is that, you know, he thinks everybody should have to carry a two iron. Whether they use it or not, they should have to know how to hit a two iron because what technology's done has decreased the skill out of the game. I was talking to Jeff Ogilvy the other day, and, you know, he was talking to my co-hadu a little bit. They were talking about about tennis and how in some of the – the grand slams and you know the big tennis tournaments they actually dial back the golf you know, the tennis ball and make the courts a little softer and stuff like that and he said they do basically the same thing in in the professional game in golf you know the courts is they're so wet most of the time and they don't like to see the ball run, running and rolling and bouncing and you know getting those big hops on the greens they like to see you know it spin back and they like to see it be able to you know stop it next to the hole that they've kind of you know made the pga tour golf and you know golf in general kind of like slow court tennis to where it doesn't it, it kind of affects the game and doesn't make it as fun or as skillful you know you just kind of hit it at a target and it stops next to the hole and that's all you have to do you know, sometimes when you go over to Scotland and stuff like that and you, you play the ground game and you have to really know how 
you know, how a ball is going to react and how far you want this thing to run out. you got to use different contours and different slopes. That's when golf is really fun and, and more challenging, I think, than just having to hit it 140 yards and it's going to stop at, at 140 if you hit it that distance. So I, I think I, I agree with him. You know, I think skill has been taken a little bit out of the game, not to say that the people out here aren't extremely talented and extremely good, but it's just a different game, you know. You just kind of hit it as far straight as you can and then hit it straight at the flag, you know, 90% of the time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it, it, and just to give you the other perspective again, like Zach said, it, you know, when you're talking about a, a higher handicapper like, like I am, I mean, certainly I can't master my yardages like, like you or Zach can. But uh, so, so the more... You, the golf course rewards that style of golf, the bigger the differential gets between you know me playing to a six and the guy playing to a three and me and you two and guys at your level where you can't really play a functional match at, at, on that kind of a course when, when the skill level diverges to a certain point. But the more you bring in that ground game, the more you bring in the ability to be creative and be strategic and do things that aren't necessarily entirely physical the more fun the game becomes in my view again and that's just the perspective of a of a of a mediocre hack but that's how i feel you know john you've put me in zach's skill level way too much tonight for me not to say like it's <laughs> hey, not man, even... from my perspective from my perspective looking up at you guys you you mean either one of you is going to kick my ass the exact same way so you are the same skill level somebody like me there's a whole, there's a whole another level that he's on that is so much different than what I'm on. So, let's let's, you know, let's where just put that all remind, You know where all this kind of takes me back to, to like a perfect place for us to go play would be national. You know, we could all go yeah. out there and figure out a nice game to play, and we're all going to go out and make a couple of birdies. You know, some of them might be made in different ways you know maybe i drive number two but you know then we get to a short part three where you know you don't have to hit it 220 yards on a rope you know you just got to be creative and get it in the right spot and kind of funnel a shot in certain places like that that's why national and some of the seth Rainer, cd mcdonald courses are so good in my opinion because you can take a guy that's a seven handicap and you can take a guy that's a scratch player and you can take a professional golfer and you could all go out there and have fun and enjoy it to where you could go out to a, you know, a championship track, you know, a, a place like Baltusrol, and I'm probably going to be the only one making a lot of birdies out there if I play good. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just a hard golf course somebody that's a six handicap that doesn't hit it 300 yards is going to have a really hard time out there. I can verify that firsthand. Baldus Raw crushed me. And a player like you, Zach, would beat me by 50 at Baldus Raw. And I, I would have a miserable time uh, and we couldn't have any kind of functional match. And to me, that's a tragedy, especially given the match yeah. play roots of the game. But you're right. At a place like National... Uh, even even carrying my six and even hitting the ball much shorter than, than you guys do, I can get around national, and I can score at national because I can use the parts of my game that are strong to get the ball in the hole. At, at a place like Baldus Roll, if I can't hit it as far as I need to, I have no option. It's either 
Make the carry or don't. It's either hit the fairway or don't. It's either hit the green or don't. And if I and if any of those don'ts happen, I'm making bogey or worse. Where at national, I don't need to hit it 250 yards to make a par. You know, I don't I don't need to hit every green in regulation and two putt just to get around the course. I can I can do other things that don't require physical skills that I don't have. And to me, that is really what makes those courses a treasure to, to all kinds of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. That's that's the best. I uh, I played I play with a, a guy who plays on a web tour, um, and we've got a foursome that we play a couple times in the summer, and it's you know three really good mid am players and him, and um, we played Olympia Fields North, so U.S. Open course, and he shot sixty eight. And then we had like 75, 77, 82, you know, <laughs> and it's like a perfect example. Then we go out to Sand Valley and it's super playable, you know, where there's all kinds of options in play. He, he ended up beating us, but it was a lot closer than the drubbing he gave us at, at Olympia Fields North. Yeah, I mean, I went in, when I, when I wanted, when my first, you know, inklings and ideas of the Buck Club came around. I wanted to build like a championship style track that was like meant for a scratch golfer and, you know, it was really hard and it was going to beat you up and you had to play really good. And then my kind of whole world flipped around when I saw some places like National and I saw, you know, some of these unbelievable, just classic little gems that are quirky and fun and sporty and, you know, they're they're not long yardages. It's just so much more fun to play a golf course that anybody in your foursome can play, no matter if they're like, you know, a long handicap or a scratch player. It's just more fun for everybody when you build a course like that, that everyone can get it around and make birdies and have fun. Right. All right. right. To me, that's the biggest difference, Zach. It's it just, it, it tends to be less fun. I mean, look, every golf course is going to have holes where, if I'm playing the same tees you guys are, that I, I, a golfer like me won't be able to reach in regulation. So to a certain extent, physical abilities are going to limit what a golfer like me can do on those courses. What I don't like is when a golf course demands consistently a hole after hole after hole physical skills that me and plenty of other golfers don't have. Give me a way to get the ball in the hole. Even if it's a goofy way. Even if it's a way that might not be obvious that I have to puzzle out and really think it over. But give me an out. And, and that's why I think all three of us love C.V. McDonald's so much because he was sort of the grandfather of that idea. You know, Give everybody a way to get the ball in the hole and have fun. And, and I just, again, I think the classic courses do that so much better than many of the modern ones. Hundred percent. All right, so we're uh, we're running up on a lot of time here. So I, you know, in the so everybody gets through to the end. I, I mean, I, we're gonna we're gonna call it. We're gonna have one last question here. Um, so Andrew had a question for Zach, and it was you know regarding your favorite course in the Northeast Amateur Circuit. And I'll just open it up with John. You know, favorite kind of prestigious Northeast club. Outside of McDonald, we, we're going to put a kibosh on McDonald and Rayner. Oh, 
I don't know. Uh, like any club in the Northeast. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna adapt his. He his his question was for you. Your favorite course on the amateur circuit. When, oh, from... um, ooh, man, you know, Juana Moisit up in uh, up in Rhode Island. It's the old Donald Ross course. That I mean, the thing's on like a hundred acres. It's teeny, but it's so fun and it's really really cool. I would say that or uh, Sunny Hannah. That's another chili that's pretty good. Those are both really, really cool. And then uh, uh, I've never, I've never played the Northeast Amateur Circuit, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll give you a couple of my favorites real quick. It would be going south to north. It would be Somerset Hills, Sleepy Hollow, which I love, although that's a McDonald's, so cross that one off. Uh, and then up in Boston, Zach mentioned these two places earlier, and it's kind of interesting that he hasn't played them yet because he's in for a treat. Uh, Myopia Hunt Club is one of my favorite clubs anywhere. Uh, and uh, its neighbor, Essex County Club, is uh, also one of my favorites. It's just two incredible places. All right. Well, we're, uh, we'll wrap it up there. And, uh, Zach, good luck this week, man. Uh, you know, brave Yeah, thank the... you guys for having me. It's fun to, uh, fun to talk about this. We should do it more often. Yeah, we'll have to do some sort of like a quarterly check-in or something. See, see what uh, everybody's <laughs> yeah, I like doing. like it. Yeah, well, and then we'll have to get the game that we talk about set up one of these days. Yeah, yeah, we we should do it at national. I think that's a good spot. Uh, you know, I've, I've never. I would happily, I would, I would happily get beat by you guys at national or anywhere else for that matter. But uh, national, <laughs> national or Somerset, I think I think yeah. those are the two where we got to uh, we got to do it. Yeah, I've, that works. I've I've never been to New York, so <laughs> I I like I need to you know. Get to New York City for more than just state? golf. No, I've never been to New York City for anything. It's kind of crazy, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's a that'd be a good way to uh, enter in yeah. there. So we'll figure it out. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, it was fun, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, you're hit it straight this week, Zach. Thanks.